In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today's readings almost sound like a continuation of last week's complaints. The complaints of the vineyard workers who weren't being uh, compensated in a manner commensurate to the number of hours which they worked. And so Ezekiel takes up the challenge. You say the Lord's way is not fair. Is it my way that's unfair? Or rather are not your ways unfair? And the specific example is a little different from uh, the amount of work done. Um, Instead, he speaks of um, repentance from bad works, repentance from good works. Similarly, when someone virtuous turns away from virtue to commit iniquity and dies, it is because of the iniquity he committed that he must die. But if he turns from the wickedness he has committed and does what is right and just, he shall preserve his life. Since he has turned away from all the sins that he has committed, he shall surely live and not die. Remember, the context is the Old Testament. When we're reading the prophet Ezekiel, we're reading this in the context in which the message was understood to pertain to events of this world. Heaven was not a possibility in the Old Covenants. And so the justice of God played out in this life. If you obeyed God, you were rewarded in this life. As Christians, we still see that the, the attributes of God remain the same. What God reveals about himself is the same. The terms, though, uh, have changed because now heaven is a possibility. And we realize that the justice of God isn't always played out uh, during our earthly life, but certainly um, will be dealt with in eternity. What our Lord is revealing about himself is that he is just and he is merciful. He is just. He does keep track of what we do. What we've done, what we haven't done. How many times. How badly. How deliberately. He's also merciful. He allows us to repent. He allows us to repudiate our bad deeds. He allows us to to do penance, to make up for them. And then they are no longer who we are. They're part of our past. By the same token, the Lord permits us to repudiate our good deeds. He permits us to repent of the good that we've done. And so if we were in the context of the vineyard workers who worked eight hours and then maybe slacked off at the end for 30 minutes or 45 minutes, well, they still should get payment for the work that they did, for their accomplishments. But our Lord's also revealing something a little bit different. Our life, our work in this world isn't about accumulating accomplishments. What we do, the decisions we make, have their greatest impact in how they form our soul. And how they affect others. Every decision we make forms us closer in conformity with God or way. And so what matters is who we are right now. Not in the vague, ambiguous, modernist sense in which all that matters is who you feel you are. And do you feel like you're a nice person? Well, then that's who you are. 
Rather, who we are right now is the sum of all of our decisions, good and bad, and some outweigh others. Repudiating the good that we've done affects who we are right now. Consider this in the context of how our Lord takes up this uh, divine mathematics. A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, Son, go out and work in the vineyard today. He said in reply, I will not. Afterwards changed his mind and went. The man came to the other son and gave the same order. He said, Yes, sir, but didn't go. Remember the, the background for this. This is the 21st chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Just prior to this was Palm Sunday, our Lord's triumphant entry into Jerusalem. With people praising him and singing Hosanna and putting palm branches or olive branches on the ground to provide for a glorious entry. Some of whom were the same people who days later would be shouting, crucify him. And the immediate context, the immediate subject matter is the baptism of John. Did the baptism of John actually have an effect? And our Lord makes it very clear. If you repent of evil, it's gone. And by the same token, if you repent of your good works and your good faith, then it's gone as well. At the end of our life, we're not standing before God saying, I served you for 80 years, and for the last year, you know, I didn't pray, and I... Uh, I didn't go to church, and I didn't care, and I didn't love other people. But don't the 80 years outweigh the one year? And the answer will be no. Because it's, it won't be a list of things that we've done that stands before God. It will be us, your soul, standing before God. We aren't something. We're not just a body that accomplishes things. We're body and soul. We are someone. We have an identity. We have a relationship with God. The relationship with God that we have when our life is over, it will be perfected. Either become perfectly opposed to Him or perfectly in union with Him. And that's how it will be forever. Yesterday in Spain was the happy event of the beatification of Bishop Alvaro del Portillo, the second prelate of the prelature of Opus Dei. When we stand before the mystery of a soul, not only who served God well, but who's raised to what we call the glory of the altars, who's beatified, we're not... We're, we're not in the, in the context of a, a lifetime achievement award. Now, there may, may be some servants of God who, uh, whose, whose title designates that. But what the church is acknowledging is that this person not only lived a life of virtue at times, but lived a life that was totally on trajectory towards God. Certainly some of the blessed, some of the saints were terrible sinners before. But the trajectory of their life gives us 
a model to emulate. Moreover, their good works even continue. Their good works in the world continue now. It was last June that Pope Francis approved of the miracle attributed to Bishop Alvaro. Testing to the, testifying to the fact that he not only did good things during his lifetime, even now he still is able to do good things in the world, even after his death. And should another miracle be approved, would be considered to be canonized by the Holy Father himself. To whom do we look for inspiration? Whom do we want the church to make saints? Not simply everyone that we are certain happens to be in heaven. The Roman martyrology, the official list of canonized saints, isn't an attempt at an exhaustive account of everyone who happens to be in heaven. But rather is that glorious honor roll of those whose lives are worth emulating. And moreover, whose works overflow from their earthly life even, even to the present day. We know that their, their union with God is so efficacious that they can still intercede for us fruitfully here on earth. In the same way that there are some people who are in the state of grace whom we ask to pray for us in this life. We go out of, their way, we go out of our way to ask them to pray for us. Even still, there are those who in eternity are in the state of grace, who are in the communion of God, of communion of the saints, in union with God, whom we especially seek after to intercede for us. Not as a function of the accumulation of accomplishments, but as a function of who they are now and will always be forever. In the nursing home, it's a, it's a fairly common experience as a precursor to a, to a confession for someone to say, when I ask them if they want to go to confession, Father, look at me. I, I, I have no chance of doing anything wrong. What do I have to confess? Which is almost akin to the idea that my, my religious life is over. Because I can't, I can't do anything anymore. My life is waning. It's not always indicative of someone who's oblivious to the fact that their soul has a relationship with God. But it might. And it doesn't require us to be able to lift a finger to separate our heart and our mind from God. Not only that, but we need to remember that what we offer God is our love. That's what pleases Him. Not your accomplishments, but your accomplishments done with faith and love. The parable of the sons. The the fathers of the church describe them as the elder son, the first one, and the younger son. Attributing them to the Gentiles and the Jews. St. Jerome and, and others also compare them to... Uh, to priests versus people. 
The priests who say, I'll serve you, and then don't. And the people who actually do. And we're warned by our Lord himself, don't, it doesn't even matter if you were able to expel demons. If you did it without love, it's nothing. It doesn't matter. What The only thing that matters is your soul and its relationship to God. If we, if we say the right words even, it doesn't matter. What did St. John Baptist say or scream to these very same Pharisees? Show the fruit of your repentance. Don't say that you repent. Show it. As some non-Catholic Christians would misunderstand this passage, this isn't a comparison of faith versus works. But it shows precisely that faith is manifested by our works, by what we do. And so there can be, to go back to the nursing home bedside, there can be some frustration when we feel that from our incapacity to to lift a finger, that there is an inability to do anything good. Because we want our faith, we want our love to be able to be manifest, to be able to touch people. And, And that's a good sentiment. But all of this takes place with an exclamation mark on the altar of the cross where our Lord is unable to move. And he's even barely able to move his lips. And what stands to his right and his left, or hangs rather to his right and his left, are the exemplification of this parable. The one who will lose everything, and the other, because of his repentance, because of his faith, will be forgiven. To whom our Lord says, Today you will be with me in paradise. It's our Lord's love. The sacrifice of his life, which is the only thing that is pleasing to God the Father. And we live our lives either in repudiation of it or in union with it. And we praise and, and, and honor the Lord God to, who is just and who is merciful. And who in his generosity and charity permits us to unite ourselves to his son. The good news is that who we are and what we have done by the grace of God can be healed, can be repaired, can be sanctified, can be made holy and fruitful. And so we beg him for his mercy. We beg that we be open to his mercy. We beg him that we be open to his grace that will prompt us to reform our lives so that our repentance will be fruitful and that our service and love of him will be permanent. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.